Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show today is Ernest Kung. He's the AI product manager for the Associated Press, where he helps local newsrooms implement artificial intelligence into their workflows. Previously, he was an award-winning local television news producer and writer. Ernest pursued a Master of Business Information Systems from the University of Canterbury to shift into the technology development side of news to make it easier for journalists to do their jobs. In today's episode, Ernest walks us through the product development process of five AI projects that have been built as part of the AP's Local News AI initiative. We also touch upon AP's guidelines on generative AI and discuss the licensing deal that AP signed with OpenAI in July. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. Hi, Nikita. Nice to see you again. Ernest, I'm excited to have AP back on the show again. Since Amy was here over the summer, y'all were getting started with uh, launching the local news project that y'all were working on. And now since you've launched um, five different projects, four of which are going to be open sourced for local newsrooms to try out, experiment with in their own newsroom, I want to dig deeper into all of them, really what the whole process was like. And AP, yourself, you've had quite a few updates, um, released your generative AI guidelines as well, as well as right after the previous recording, signed a deal with OpenAI. So I'm going to get into all of those different news stories. But 
First, let's start with the projects you worked on with local news, because I'm very excited about that and the impact it's happening. We just were at a webinar previously as well, what AP conducted. There was a lot of enthusiasm and excitement, I feel like, over there in terms of a lot of people were interested in the different projects and asking a lot of questions about it. So let's start with the five projects that you have. Can you give me an overview first about what the process was like in terms of like in taking what projects did you decide were AI specific that would be a really great help for local newsroom and how that process went? So to begin, the process started in completion really to almost two years ago now when AP launched this local news AI initiative. We are completely funded by the Knight Foundation as part of a grant to increase AI capabilities in local news. So we were one of five grantees that shared about $3 million. The program here for us for these five projects was a competitive process. People had participated in our program previously by taking a survey and also participating in our online classrooms. Folks that participated were then invited to submit pitches for these project builds. We received 43 pitches from 34 newsrooms across the U.S. And the pitches were generally all very high quality. So getting a decision made on to how we ended up doing five projects from 43 pitches was not easy. What we had to do was uh, we did the first cut from 43 to 15, which we did internally at AP with me, Amy, and our boss who has since retired, um, the senior vice president of strategy, Jim Kennedy. He had decades of experience at AP and leading AI projects. So the three of us uh, narrowed down the initial 15. One of the big criteria was, was this project doable with the available funds that we had and within the time frame that we had to pull off these projects? Initially, we were anticipating around having 11 months worth of time to build these projects. That was on the ideal side, but we were nowhere near that. For the 15 that were selected, we worked with each of those newsrooms. They happened to be 15 separate newsrooms. And we worked with each of them, Amy and I, to do effectively design thinking sessions with them. We spent quite literally four weeks we met with them once each week for four weeks for 15 newsrooms of 60 meetings to understand their existing process, what they were trying to improve, and then negotiating with them into what could be done as a project. So some of the pitches were very broad. They were not doable, but they had promised. So we got them to narrow down their ask. Uh, so what would a minimum viable product look like? And so we had everything down from, so they had an output at the end of a process map of their current process that they were trying to improve. And then a second process map that showed what would be the ideal outcome. With that information, we took it up to AP's own internal engineering team that builds software. They have the experience in this stuff. We had them give us price estimates. How much would it cost to build, to build these things out? And so we had those estimates in line in mind, rather, we then presented our findings, the 15 proposals that we had worked through and consolidated, along with the budget estimate. And we provided that to three independent judges. The three judges 
went through these items. So the judges were Mark Lavalley. He's our funder at Knight Foundation. So he was one of the judges. Cynthia DeBose at McClatchy was another judge. And Dan Shelley at RTDNA was the third judge. So each of them scored the projects. And without connecting to each other, they did their independent scoring. And then on our side, we totaled, we simply totaled all the scores up. And the top five scoring projects were the ones that got picked. It was as simple as that. The one of the values that people were scoring was whether this project is applicable to a wide swath of the industry, of the journalism industry. So you'll see all the five projects that were selected, you can tell there's they are all very applicable to multiple parts of local news. And that was on purpose. And so the judge, that was one of the criteria for the judges, and we believe they delivered. And so those were how the five projects were selected. I think that's a really great understanding, basically, of how you went about selecting which AI projects to work on that as newsrooms also are thinking about different different, different solutions that could possibly happen and have being more focused on like what the minimum viable product is, what could be our best possible solution out of that. And I think that was a really nice framework to also think through. I want to start getting deeper into all of the five projects. And I was at the webinar where you asked the question, which of these projects would people be interested in trying out at newsrooms and people voted on it. So I want to start with the one that was the most popular, which was transcribing public meetings with keywords and alerts that you did at Michigan Radio. So talk to me more about what that project really was focusing on and what was the AI component in that? I can tell you this. Interestingly enough, that project was our top scoring project of the top of the five. It was actually number one. And I told you about just three judges, totally different experiences, and they all rated that one the highest. So we are very keen on pulling this off. What Michigan Radio presented, Michigan Radio is a public radio station, NPR affiliate owned by the University of Michigan. So they serve, their news operation serves the entire state. They had previously got Google News Initiative money to build out the first version of their tool that they call Minutes. And this application, this web application, transcribes city council meetings. It goes out and seeks the recordings as they're posted onto YouTube or Vimeo and then transcribes them. And then it presents it in a nice user interface for a reporter to be able to search, run searches against. So they came to us with an already completed product that they owned the IP for. Their pitch was whether or not to we would be interested in adding the AI of summarization and also alerting. So it was judged clearly the most interesting, the most wide use of our projects. And so when we started the work, we had anticipated the portions of AI being the existing transcription, of course, is AI. Summarization would be a new form of AI. Keep in mind, when we started this project, the OpenAI had not yet released ChatGPT. Nobody knew anything about them, or very few people knew anything about OpenAI. But I can tell you, we did. We were looking around for summarization solutions to accomplish the needs. And we played around with several. We even reached out to several vendors, existing vendors. If you don't have to build it, maybe you can just adopt it. We reached out to vendors and the 
big thing that came across was OpenAI's GPT. At the time, it was GPT 3.0. When the Michigan radio people were very involved in this process as well, they had done additional research on their own. And they effectively were able to categorize everything as what you would call abstractive summarization and extractive summarization. And so those were, at the time, the really two big product types out there for summarization technologies using AI. OpenAI, when we talk about abstractive, that means it's able to understand the context in some sense and then write a summary wholesale from that. Extractive summaries are when you take only the words that were used, the phrases that were used in that summary, in that story to generate a summary. So there are two different methods. The extractive one, which is a lot of existing technologies from AI perspective, had issues with them. But the quality was just low. So Michigan Radio decided that they wanted to pursue abstractive technology. And so it turned out OpenAI's GPT 3.0 was very good at abstractive summarization. As we started building, we ran into a major roadblock. It turns out, just to conceptually think about it, so the quality of a summarization is highly dependent on the accuracy of your input material. And so our input material, our developers at Northwestern University stopped us. They said, we have a bigger problem on our hands. The accuracy of the transcripts was too low. So in the end, we ended up having to replace their transcription system, which was the core of the existing minutes product that they already brought us. And so it was just... We had to do that first before doing anything else. But of course, there's really no time for anything else. We didn't drop the project, though, because it was this weird committed, let's, let's make this make this better. So we are able to get the Michigan Radio product where there is a tool that we use that, that calculates what's called a word error rate, which is how often the word that is transcribed differs from the actual correct word. And so to do that, we paid human transcribers to transcribe a series, four really, of complete city council meetings of each city council meeting, I think was two hours or more. But we paid humans to transcribe everything. We used that as the reference. And then with the tool, we were able to compare how the existing transcription system performed. And it was returning an, a word error rate of 50%. 50% means that it's a coin toss. It's a coin toss whether or not the word is right or not in the transcript or in the right place or anything. So that was bad. Then there's a lot of time spent looking for alternate transcription systems. What would do better? And so we did a lot of testing. And the Northwestern University developers, they settled on one of the flavors of Whisper, OpenAI's Whisper. OpenAI, before they put out ChatGPT, they put out Whisper, which is as an open source transcription project. And so Whisper comes in different flavors. Um, they have four sizes. And so we tested different sizes out. Uh, different sizes have different impacts on the cost of how, how much it costs you to transcribe something. So these, in any scenario for local news, keeping costs low is always going to be a priority. It doesn't matter if we're using AI or not. Keeping costs low is the priority. Um, at larger news organizations, that may not be the same priority, but for us, it is. So we used the cheapest one we could find that did the job, and that turned out to be the whisper small.en model, .en model. So 
that is what got done. It had to be, there's a lot of rebuilding in the process. At simultaneously, class at the University of Michigan was assigned to build the alerting feature. The alerting feature isn't as much AI as it is matching keywords and being able to process that as the transcripts come in. Everything was then integrated by the Northwestern University team. All the bits and pieces were integrated and we released the new version of Minutes. So uh, Minutes, the final output then, the final, what we did as part of this project was to provide a revamped core transcription system along with the keyword alerting so that the uh, users can have a good experience. So the big thing here though, with Michigan Radio is because they already previously owned the IP to what we worked on, it then gets complicated. This is why we can't open source the project. As Michigan Radio already owned the IP, we effectively performed repairs, arguably repairs or upgrades to an existing thing. So that's why, and they already own the IP to that. So the only complication in this really is Northwestern University's lawyers have are getting with the University of Michigan's lawyers to hash out an agreement as to how the IP is recognized on this project. Uh, all the complicated legal matters. Very complicated, and I apologize to the lawyers for uh, putting them in this situation, but, but it is for the good of journalism, and we, we have a project. So I just want to recap in terms of what we were talking about is Michigan Radio... One of the key learnings, I guess, I'm hearing is bad data in, bad data out was transcription was bad. You couldn't do anything with summarizations or keywords alerts, right? Because it was bad data out. And so that was one of the key things that you then fixed on with the transcription service. And I was quite interested in seeing Whisper. There were a lot of different other models that you could have gone after with. And so it seems Whisper was the most cost effective, had the best error transcription rates and ability to transcribe as well. And I forgot to mention that the new error rate, word error rate is around 12% now, 12 Wow. Okay. So that was a pretty dramatic shift from 50 to 12%. I think also, yeah, knowing, I think that's a very important thing to probably for people to think about with transcription is like, what is the word error rate and all of these kind of metrics when deciding on which tools to use. And I want to understand more in terms of how has the newsroom's workflow really changed since they have been adopting this tool right now? Previously, the Michigan radio, their reporters would use it on occasion. Now, internally in Michigan radio, Dustin Dwyer, who's the lead, he's getting more people to sign on now that it works much better than it used to work. And now the use case is much more clear. And so that's what's happening with them. Uh, we have another newsroom that is already exploring it. So as part of the project, uh, we end up connecting with the Post and Courier newspaper in South Carolina. They want to use minutes to cover not city council meetings, but school board meetings. School boards are, you would ideally, in an ideal journalism world, have a reporter, every single one to cover a very important topic important beat to local news, but like most news organizations, you don't have the reporters anymore. And so we know of Michigan Radio helping the Post and Courier out right now to test that out in the, for a school board setting. So people are able to now also adopt this within their own newsrooms through the open source code. 
Ashley, I'd like to move on to the next big project that you had, because there are so many, five different ones that I want to be able to cover. The next thing that was very interesting was about sorting news tips and populating that into a coverage planner. That was the second most popular one on your webinar that you had with WFMZ TV project. So talk to me more about how did that project work? You were getting email pitches and then assigning that, whether that would be uh, classified as worthy, newsworthy or not. How did that development process look like? So that particular one is our most complex project from an AI perspective. I know separately I hit you up at a convention and we were looking through the data, making heads or tails of the, the data that was generated from the data model training, but I'll get there in a moment. So the project's start was actually not in Pennsylvania. It was actually up in Alaska. A TV station there pitched a project. They were picked as part of 15 and we went through that whole process with them, design process, and we got a very good product on paper. And we knew the judges would love it. The judges approved it as one of the top five. Then we had to start the negotiations AP with the newsroom, but the newsroom is owned as part of a corporate chain. So we had to negotiate with their corporate legal team. And unfortunately, we were not able to come to an agreement on terms of this project. On paper, there is no cost to the newsrooms. It was completely funded by the grant from Knight Foundation. The newsrooms don't have any money to contribute to this project. It's AP is supporting the whole thing. But for them, it was about the liability. They had concerns about using a tool that was being built by college students and whether using such a tool might get them in trouble down the road. And so that was a barrier that they were having trouble crossing. So we ended up after quite literally months of negotiations with lawyers going back and forth, we ended up passing. So this project shifted to WFMZ. WFMZ had previously participated in the local news AI initiative. They had participated already in our research report and the courses as well. So they were active participants. And because they're an independently owned TV station, we figured they might be more interested in getting this project, but also getting it approved. And so we were right from the day we approached them to when the contract was signed was two weeks. And so, and then we were able to start working. The building of itself, it was designed early on to approach this particular problem of newsworthiness. It is so subjective. Newsworthy is from from news organization, news organization, news organization is so subjective. How do you possibly have AI do that? Well, we want to test out newsworthiness for only one thing, for identifying an event that fits onto a planning calendar. And so the example I always like to give, which is not a real example, but just for an example, is that you get a press release that says the mayor tomorrow at noon will talk about fixing the potholes at a press conference. All right. So the if an assignment editor uh, gets that, they might say that's at least worthy of being put into the planning calendar to decide if they want to cover. So they'll drop it in. And that's it. TV assignment editors, and there are obviously equivalents in other medium, but TV assignment editors have a very large amount of responsibility. One of them is the planning calendar uh, to fill that out through incoming emails, but really bigger ones 
are to day-to-day manage the crews. So the reporters and the photographers that go into the field, they need to make sure the crews get to the right places, have the right stuff with them, make sure they're on time, that they get back on time and feed their material on time. There's so much stuff that assignment editors have to do. In addition to monitoring the scanners for breaking news, why the scanners are breaking, the police scanners, fire scanners for breaking news and potentially moving some of these reporters to that when stuff happens. They're on the front lines. They also take the phone calls of people calling breaking news tips. They, of course, also monitor the emails for the same thing. So, so many things in their job. The idea here is to see if we can try to shift one of the items of their job onto automation. So to be able to build this, we ended up creating a custom trained neural network. Not a big one. Uh, it's relatively small, but it's a custom trained neural network to... We can just break down what a neural network is for our listeners. What do you mean by a custom trained neural network? So a neural network, the name reflects that it's supposed to be like a human brain. Okay. Now, it's not really, but what we're pretending it is. So it's a neural network has a series of inputs. Each input can result in a variety of possibilities. Those possibilities are controlled via what are called weights. But each one, the, the signal goes from one, the initial source, to the next possibility. From that next possibility goes to another possibility. And so eventually you end up at a result. And so there are many, many layers to this neural network. So they, they describe it. It's like the brain. The brain has multiple layers. So it's, that's what it is. So it is not new technology. This type of AI neural networks have been exist in existence for decades. And they have powered the initial versions of AI that have been popular in journalism for a very long time. Uh, neural networks um, are very good at classification, right? They're just really good at that. So any, anytime you have that, have that particular use case, uh, which is exactly what we're doing here, we're classifying emails, a neural network was the first thing to pursue. There are no existing solutions on the market for this. So this was, we always knew this would be custom trained and. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. To our knowledge, no newsroom had tried this before to build neural network that can do classification on their own newsworthiness editorial criteria. It seems quite a challenge. I would say that. That's why. <laughs> to our knowledge, that has never happened before. This anywhere in the world, to the best of our knowledge, I could be wrong, but it is novel enough that the University of Missouri team that worked on it, they are writing an academic paper on this particular innovation. The technology itself meant we needed 
to train the neural network, and that means you need input data. So what is your input data? We decide to, we need to mark up emails. That was deciding whether it was newsworthy or not, right? That that was human editors doing that, right? So we have the human assignment editors. We had to build a brand new interface and what's called an annotation uh, for the process, but we had to create a brand new interface for the assignment editors at WFMC to mark up emails. So five assignment editors on different shifts across the week and really around the clock, when they had time, in addition to their very busy tasks, as I mentioned earlier, when they had time, they would log into the system and start marking up emails, how they would decide. So they had three options available to them. They would mark it up as worthy, and that meant they would have put it into the coverage calendar. Unsure was the second classification, and those are for emails that are, in fact, newsworthy, but they're not meant for the planning calendar. So it could be a breaking news item. So there's that. And the third category is simply called not worthy. And so it has no editorial value at all. And most newsrooms will recognize most of the email that comes to them has no editorial value at all. I like how you had like five different people. So you had like a range of different opinions and voices in the training data set to do all the three different ones. Well, we're not reflecting one person. We're reflecting about five people worth of their professional. It, the training data effectively now reflects their professional judgment, their institutional values at WFMZ, but also broadly our values at, in journalism as an industry. There are some things we don't consider newsworthy. And I think that's really important when you are doing training data, having perspective of voices, because that would introduce bias into your model. And that's how one way you avoided it. So when you did that, then how efficient was it in determining whether something was newsworthy or not? So when the Dash scientists first started building it, they started building the model only when we got 2,000 emails marked up. We said we need to hit 5,000 for them to be really comfortable. But they start building at 2,000. When they start building it, they realized they had an immediate problem. It was the collected data, the marked up emails were very lopsided. Too many were marked as not worthy. We were told, of course, from a data science perspective, that's problematic. In an ideal data science, train, when you're training a model, you want equal parts of the three categories is what we were told. And so they had to find some workarounds, some data science techniques to be able to fix this problem. And I can't describe that for you. <laughs> and so, but say when they first started, their first version of the model, they said they had it barely above 50%. It was like 50 point, let's just say 50.5. I don't remember, but it didn't make it to 51. And so also toss of the coin. Coin toss again. <laughs> toss of the coin, whether the thing was going to work or not. I just, I'll tell you this. I was a little bit panicky. I was like, oh, Maybe this thing, this whole project's not going to work. Maybe this AI's not going to work. I had that at the back of my mind of, oh boy. Something that I can't do. <laughs> yeah, I saw that beginning number there. And then the um, over time, really two scientists, uh, two data science students working on it, a PhD student and a master's student, they were working on it. And they eventually got it up in our final product. Well, it had a 90% accuracy rate. In that, and I'm told 90% is really, really high. Their initial target was 80%, but through a variety of techniques, they made it to 90%. It will be open source, and we do describe the training process so data scientists can follow along. 
the bit of this is the final output we were asked after we deployed it at WFMZ, could it potentially get any better? Could we get a higher? And so the, the actual answer is no, it won't get any better because we're reflecting five people's judgments. So if you present the same email to five people, do you think they'll all make the same decision? Yeah, no. So there's a lot of people thought about that. They're like, oh, <laughs> so it's like, you'll never, you'll never have a one percent. That's not actually possible. I remember from the first two weeks after we deployed it, we had, this is around the time of ONA. It was about two weeks in. When I went up there, they told me something very interesting. So they were looking at the AI's processing up to that point. It had showed that the emails that were in listed as worthy were, it was, it was leaning towards false positives. The emails that went into the content management system had more items than they would prefer, they would normally prefer. But it depends on who's judging it, right? But it's adding in more emails than it needed to. But then they looked at the other two categories of emails, the ones that are listed as unsure and the ones listed as not worthy. At that time, about two weeks into the testing, they did not encounter any emails from the unsure or not worthy piles that actually belonged in the planning calendar. That's a great sign. Exactly. So there are a lot, there's a lot of conversations about how do you, assuming this tool is, becomes a permanently adopted tool, how would their workflow change? So they started having a lot of conversations internally about that. What would the workflow look like? So these projects are all experimental. They were meant to work for that one newsroom that we worked with, but they are meant here as demonstration to wider industry of what's possible for AI in local news. I think it's also like a great a way to show how probably you could help with the operational side of the newsroom, right? Talking about operational side, another project that you had was about summarizing video transcripts to then automatically stage an article in, into the CMS that you all did with KSAT TV. I found that really interesting because, again, it takes significant amount of time. We have all of these broadcast shots and live TV that could also be repopulated into news articles in CMS. How much of generative AI was used in this particular project and what was that development like? About generative AI, I, I should mention on the prior project, WFMZ, there was generative AI as well. Not only did we do a custom neural for ourselves, we also used generative AI. We ended up using open AIs, uh, GPT 3.5, to be able to read the emails and extract the dates, the date and time of the event. So the emails are completely unstructured. We wrote, we did a lot of prompt engineering, as they now call it, to get it to a point where it would consistently give us a date and time of the event, start the event. And we needed that because in order to go into the coverage calendar, you need to plug into the correct date and time. So for KSAT, we also used OpenAI's GPT 3.5. In this case, it was to build out the summarization. So it is not too dissimilar from the initial goals of Michigan Radio. The big difference, of course, is that we actually did build the summarization part. <laughs> uh, the, what's the input here is very different. The input here for KSAT TV is video that they themselves shoot. Uh, so it's not city council meetings. We were talking a lot about the word error rates earlier. But the reason word error rates, I should have mentioned, they're so bad for Michigan Radio is because city council meetings are have a variety of recording methods for the audio. 
it's not standardized. Whereas over here, it's like a professional camera. So the audio quality in city council meetings is usually very, very bad. So the fact that OpenAI was able to get above that, the one was able to get above that was remarkable. For this project, we didn't have any worries about transcription errors being a too big of a problem. That said, the transcription service used here is Trent. And the reason we use Trent is because KSAN already pays for Trent. We didn't select them outright. It was already something they paid for. And again, so for the purposes of not spending too much money on these projects, we use things that are already there. Trent has an API. We built a system that connects to that. So it pulls in the transcript of the video, and then we put in a human stop for the human journalist to approve the transcript to say that the transcript is okay. Once the transcript is okay, then we go into the summarization where we then prompt GPT 3.5 to do summary of this article. In that, actually, when you're prompting GPT to do the summarization, how concerned were you about the accuracy? Because it could still be questionable, hallucinate, even if it was going based off a transcript. Yeah. And so the students at Stanford University who worked on this project, they spent a lot of time because they were noticing hallucination. That is a problem. And so what were the prompts to limit the hallucination? So the prompt that we've published, and this code is open sourced, the prompt that we published was the code that we saw really didn't result in hallucinations anymore. So no more hallucinations with code. Yeah. So the code that we have open source that's available to everyone to, to see here is where there was, the hallucinations are not perceptible, let's put it that way. What we have now going, the product is really very useful. The TV stations already found it to be very useful. It is our thing we've realized is, as the TV station has been testing it out, it's easier if you feed in video that already has stuff that's been vetted. That's uh, so, and so they've been trying to play off with perhaps using the summarization system on the off-air product. So what goes on TV, so just the off-air recording of that to do summaries of a broadcast, for example, or segment of a broadcast. So they've been talking about doing that. So they're testing it out. So there are many, many use cases that are possible with this. The limitation we have for this product is that it is limited to understanding transcripts of a certain length. The recording can't be too long. I would say don't go over 15 minutes worth of recording. So that can get you a lot of interviews, right? 15 minutes is more enough to cover inter nice interviews. But beyond that, you don't want to, for example, plug in a city council meeting of two hours long. It'll fail is one thing. The system won't, won't process it. But the other bit of it is that we haven't solved the bigger problem of summarizing a city council meeting that long, for example, where you have you ideally you would want to summarize by topic, which meant you would need to be able to identify the topic before summarize it, or also summarize by speakers. What did this person say? So there are so many ways, there's so many technical challenges that need to be solved in that space that we never got to, got to work on. We actually thought we were going to be able to work on some of it for Michigan Radio, but we were never able to. Yeah, the length of the transcript, like usually if it has a specific subject, then it's better for chat GPT, like GPT in general, to be able to not hallucinate over there. Kind of moving on to like the last two ones that you had, and they're very similar in nature, actually, of using like national. One was about the publication of, of Spanish language news alerts from the National Weather Service to have hurricane alerts for El Besoro in Puerto Rico. 
And similarly in Minnesota's newspaper, Brainerd Dispatch, having like automated writing of public safety incidents, like the police blotter. So they're very too similar taking like public information and making that automatically into content and pushing that out to audience quickly for like more important information that they need access to, like in relates to the hurricane or any like important public safety incidents. What were you seeing? Like, was the development process quite similar between the two of them? And like, what were you seeing like the biggest challenges when you were dealing with like public data and converting that into stories? So two development teams were different. So we did have different processes for both. For Elvis Cerro, that was done out of Northwestern University, the night lab there. The Brainerd Dispatch one was done out of the University of Missouri. And so their particular product with the University of Missouri, we determined through with the news from the requirements, we knew there was going to need to be a, a pretty comprehensive user interface. Because among other things, it was decided that humans always need to be in the loop through this process. Automation is there to help you save time. The AI is help there to help you save time, but we're not trying to replace the humans in any sense. So for the police blotter development, it goes from, we had to build out the parsing component of the PDF. Those are the inputs of the police blotters that we received, the raw logs. The interface presents the crimes or the incidents sorted the sort is automatic based on the newsroom's own editorial criteria. So in the user interface, we also had to define a way for the newsroom to define their editorial criteria. What's important to them? What categories of instance are important to them? And you, we actually rank them. They have them numerically rank them. The AI is, there are two parts to the AI. The first part here is within the scraping, the parsing of documents. There we use an NLP product, among other things to do, but there are multiple things. But one of them is to extract the addresses properly. Addresses come in all shapes and sizes uh, in these place plotters across different agencies. So there is actually a particular existing open source package that handles that pretty well. And so we, we rely on that. So that's one bit of AI. We didn't have to build it. The other bit is on the other end where we write the story. The Once a reporter selects which of the prioritized items they like, when they hit publish, it goes to our uh, a commercial vendor, uh, Lead AI. Lead AI built out using their existing commercial technology for automated writing for NLG. They built out templates for Brain Dispatch that match their format to be able to write these stories once the data feed was received by our application here. So in total, it creates one solution. So we have multiple parts creating one solution. Lead AI was, this is the only project that we had a commercial vendor directly involved. Lead AI did not already have a police blotter product. So for them, we're very grateful that they decided to take on this challenge of building something brand new. And perhaps they may be able to offer something in the future to their customers, but into the market at large. But for this, they developed something brand new for us. So talking about the Elvis Cerro project, our separate one with Northwestern University. This is the one with the hurricane alerts, right? Correct. The hurricane alerts. It is a much, much more straightforward one. We have a consistent data feed that's already provided in a, we can call it from API or XML, from the National Weather Service and National Hurricane Center. The real challenge for this project, unfortunately, was the National Hurricane Center alerts, which is what Elvisero is specifically looking for because of hurricanes and tropical storms. Those alerts are actually, they look structured on the face of it, 
but they're not. A lot of it is just narrative. So trying to get the parsing to extract the real important details from really open narratives from the forecasters, that was a huge technical challenge that the students at Northwestern University were able to overcome. And then once you have that data, you're able to then send it over to the translation service. And we ended up using a commercial translation service called DeepL of uh, Germany. And so they, they do the English to Spanish conversion. And then we populate a story template just like any NLG device. It is energy service router, but we custom built this one. Uh, we didn't need a commercial vendor because the templates are so short. They're very basic to relate to alerts. So the Elvisero team actually wrote the templates of, we told them that we need you to give us the fill in the blank portions and they wrote and in Spanish, the templates are natively in Spanish. So we put in content that's from national, also in Spanish. So it all, it's all done in Spanish, which is, it, it is great. And so that's how that project was done. So it's different. There is no user interface. It's all controlled on the back end because there's no selection. If a weather alert comes in, it's new. Yeah. So there's no need for a selection interface. There's no editorial criteria, priority, or anything like that. You don't need to do that. So it, in a sense, it is much simpler. And so both of these tools use natural language generation, whereas the first three tools had elements of generative AI, like GBT, and then Whisper as well, being used in them. And so then there was a question we were thinking of, perhaps we could use generative AI for the weather one, the last one, right? We actually played around with that. It was hallucinating like crazy. We were using 3.5. It was hallucinating like crazy. That's about right. <laughs> Especially when you talk about it, the file product also needs to be in Spanish. It's like, it was clear. The technology is not there yet. And it reflects a broader thing, broader warning really for the journalism industry that you don't want to rush in adopting this, these things. We have existing technologies that we know will work. Why not continue to use that? It's still AI. Why not using a technology that already has a track record of working? And so that was what we decided to do. Generative AI may be easy to like implement because you don't need code per se, but natural language generation for now, if you want to just hit automatically have articles out or something, natural language generation is a more reliable form of AI than generative AI for writing specifically. So I'm very interested, five different projects you've worked on with local news. AP has been having some very interesting deals coming out with OpenAI and now also recently came out with its own AI guidelines. So how is AP thinking about the use of AI in the newsroom now? AP's use of AI in the newsroom, I mean, we have a lot of AI tools that we do internally, also that we expose to our members and customers. Right now in the age of generative AI, uh, we're taking everything very cautiously. There are a lot of people involved, very smart people, very experienced people in journalism, trying to figure out the the safest ways to proceed. AP, of course, is an industry leader in journalism, so we published our guidelines to share with the rest of the industry to set the stage for discussions for people. It's to prompt discussions. It's the best way we can proceed at the moment with such a novel technology. But the work that we're doing overall, I can say, it is with caution, with responsibility to our own ethics. And the experimentation that we are doing with generative AI is just that, experimentation. There is nothing generative AI that goes into our products that go to the customer or our members, our members. These testing, so we're looking for these solutions. I am personally hopeful 
that some of the technologies we've developed here in local AI, in this local AI initiative, might be useful for AP journalists to use on our own. Also, with the open AI deal, quite interesting, is that probably like a new revenue source that businesses, news businesses might have of like licensing their content? What does that look like? The, I'm not sure about the, um, the amount of um, the open AI deal. I do know some of it comes in credits. Not, it's not cash. It's test. I will say the local AI projects, we used open AI for them. These three projects, open AI was already being used before ChatGPT. It was already being used. We had already determined to use them. And has, so it has nothing to do with AP's separate deal with them. It has absolutely no relation. The deal right now, it primarily allows us to license the existing archive content that we have to OpenAI. And with those testing credits, we can play around with our generative AI experiments. And so that's really the uh, scope of the deal. And to answer your question about what newsrooms should do uh, with deals like OpenAI, I'm not sure it's easily replicable. AP is a very large news organization, so we had the weight to be able to negotiate with entity like OpenAI. I'm not sure your, any local newsroom on their own will be able to do the same thing. And so I don't see at the moment getting revenue from anybody who makes generative AI as a revenue stream. I don't see that right now. I don't see how that's possible. And it is something that will, this industry will have to hash out. And these are very important questions, by all means, that need to be answered. Because if generative AI companies do become a threat, a competitive threat to the journalism industry, to the journalism industry at large, we need to be prepared. And so these will require people far smarter than me to be able to figure out a strategy for that. Yeah. And I think that's a really important note to kind of things up on in terms of understanding really what what does the future look like in terms of for revenue if something like the business operations what ap was able to strike a deal is that possible for other businesses and just being more open into what does conducting news and having a news organization in the age of generative ai really look like as we are also open to adopting and experimenting with ai Ernest, i've really enjoyed chatting with you again. We go in depth with all of these conversations every time I feel like we meet at the conference. So I know these projects through and through, but it's been really great to understand all the different challenges that you went now that you're able to speak about it openly after it's all done. So I really enjoyed it. And I think this is such a great addition to local news, being able to see the work that AP has done with the resources and the funding that you were able to have and now making it open source just allows with the more, you don't have to have that big of a technical uplift and have those data scientists. Somebody could just take the code, adopt it in your own newsroom and try it out. And I think that's just amazing for local newsrooms to be more familiar with AI in their newsroom. So thank you so much, Ernest, for joining me on the podcast and walking through all of this with us. Thank you so much, Nikita. It's good to talk to you again, and I look forward to catching up with you at future conferences. That was Ernest Kung, the AI product manager for the Associated Press. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. 